I'm going to ask you to turn to the last book of the Bible, chapter 1, Revelation number 1, if you'll turn there, please. And then we'll turn to the book of Acts, and that'll be chapter 23. Acts number 23, if you'll turn there also. I want to read two verses out of Revelation chapter 1. And then we'll turn to our text scripture. And that'll be the 23rd chapter of the book of Acts. Well, let me say, lest I be remiss later, that it's been a special joy for me to be able to share with you again this year. My heart has been blessed. It's been good for me to be here this week. I often say when the preacher's away and calls home, his wife can hear his voice and about tell what spiritual temperature he's in. I called home last evening and my wife said, you sound like you're having a good time. And I said, I am. I don't know whether anyone else is or not, but I am. And I have called home from some places, and my wife would say to me, what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, but that's not been the case this week. It's been a special delight and been refreshing and been encouraging. And I appreciate every expression of your kindness to me. And I'm grateful that God has permitted me, you've invited me. And God's been gracious to meet with us like He has this week. I come tonight with a text of Scripture that I haven't been to in a while, not in the way that I feel the Lord wants us to attempt to share it tonight. I want to read some verses and I'll mention as the Lord leads in the beginning of my remarks about a service I was in and situation that we were facing and uh, when God brought this scripture to my attention to share for the very first time. Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> we have the account in chapter 1, at least in part of it here, of the glorified risen Lord. And John uh, tells us in verse 17, says, when I saw him. And when you read these verses prior to this verse, he uses all of these descriptive terms describing Him in His glorified state. Tells us in that 16th verse that His countenance, when He looked into His countenance, it was as the sun shineth in His strength. Just ponder that. What He attempts to convey to us about he is understanding what he saw when he saw the risen Lord. John said it was like sort of looking into the sun. And all of its strength, he said his countenance was like that. And then you do not wonder in verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. 
and have the keys of hell and of death. We may not uh, get a hold to the truth there in that last statement as John perhaps would have. When our Lord said to him, John, don't be afraid. I'm the living one. I'm the one that was dead. And I shall never die again. I'm alive forevermore. And then to encourage his servant, he said, John, I have the keys. I'm in control. Both of hell and death. I want to pick up on those two words, the first two words that came from the Lord to his servant John when he laid his right hand upon him and spoke to him and said, Fear not. In the book of Acts, the 23rd chapter, really it's a lengthy context. You'd have to really back up and get part of 22. and runs through a number of verses, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to pick a few verses to sort of bring into focus what I feel the Lord has brought to our attention tonight. In verse 1, Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth, that is, strike him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. Sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it's written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived the one part were, were Sadducees, the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead am I called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down to take him before us from among them and to bring him into the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. I call our attention tonight in particular to verses 1, 6, and 11. In those three verses, there's three ingredients that I feel tonight that if we would permit God to uh, incorporate these ingredients into our lives, we will be able to face the future unafraid. I want to talk to us a little while on that subject. When John on the Isle of Patmos was, had encountered the risen Lord and his response when he fell at his feet, the Lord said to him, John, 
Let me paraphrase it. He said, John, don't be afraid. Fear not. And then he gave him a basis that he could rest that statement upon. Here's the Apostle Paul facing a disturbing situation. But he faces it with poise and confidence. And he, he comes through this trying hour that he's facing. And he does it with such courage and, and with, with such victory that the high priest is disturbed. And uh, the apostle, I, I feel in these three verses that the Spirit of God has showed me something out of these verses. Paul had these ingredients in his life and it enabled him to be able to get through this disturbing hour, to say the least, that he was facing. I was in a meeting in the state of Virginia. It's been some time ago now. And very first night of the meeting when I was in the pastorate, our midweek was Thursday. And so I traveled three days each week. I, I did that all the 20 years that I was in the pastorate. I, I now been out of the pastorate a number of years. But uh, that Monday evening, I was seated on the platform and uh, beside the pastor. And he said, Brother Hurt, uh, there's a prayer request that I have. And he shared with me, not in detail, but mentioned that uh, and uh, pointed out that uh, the chairman of his deacons, and, and I've been going there for years and I know him well, and he said, uh, he going through, and let me express it just like he said to me, he said he's going through one of the worst crises that he's ever, ever had to go through in his life. He said he's going through a deep valley. He said less than two weeks ago, Brother Hurt, we buried his companion. I, that shocked me. I couldn't believe that. A young man, a young man been such an encouragement and a blessing to me. Each year I'd go there for a conference. I'd go there now. Each year for a week of meetings, five nights of meeting. Been going to that church since 1973. Go there every year. And uh, I glanced over at that uh, young deacon. I say young deacon. He's a man, uh, all late, late forties, middle to late forties. And a little boy sitting, seated beside of him. And uh, he said, I'll fill you in a little later, Brother Hurt, but he just, he, he needs our prayers. I'd appreciate if you'd put him on the prayer list. I preached that night and I observed, having been told that, he got my attention when he came to the altar, he and that little boy together. And uh, I spoke with him after service and I said to him, the pastor shared your burden with me. I, I'm so sorry to hear that. I couldn't believe that. That shocked me. He said, none of us can believe that it's happened. Uh, when he had to tell me that his wife, uh, just a very short illness, some mystery about her Ill illness, uh, and died rather suddenly, and uh, so he asked me to pray, and I assured him that I would. That's Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night I was there. On Wednesday night, he said, Brother Hurt, I know that you uh, have to leave real early in the morning to drive back to Indianapolis, and, uh, but I'd like to speak with you just a few minutes, if you would. I feel like God wants me to. And it brought this scripture into focus that night. Here's what he said to me. We had a seat here on the front. He asked that little boy. Uh, I think he was 11, 12. Ask him to slip back there to the uh, your area. Said, I need to talk to the preacher alone. And uh, here's what he said. He said, Brother Hurt, only God knows how many times I've heard my wife pray for her family. Her family's unsaved. Her family wasn't interested. Uh, pay no attention. They, they'd treat us with kindness as long as we would 
not speak to them on a personal basis about the Lord, but said uh, they just let us know that they didn't want us to witness to them. They had no interest in the things of God. He's a businessman, a rather successful businessman. He said sometimes we'd try to witness to him. We would hear, uh, you know, the feedback later. Well, no wonder they go to church, look, everything they do, they're so blessed. And he said, but now, God's got their attention. He said, I've heard my wife many, many times pray, Lord, whatever it takes, don't let my folks go to hell. God, whatever it takes, get, get mom, dad's attention. Lord, whatever it takes, save my loved ones. He's telling me that here on the front. He said, Brother Hurt, I don't understand all that's going on, but God has got their attention. He said, for the first time since I've known them, they're interested. They're asking the right questions. They're open. But he said, Brother Hurt, they're watching me. And he said, here's what I'm hearing. They are saying, oh, as he put it, through a crisis hour. And he said, here's what I want to talk to you about, Brother Hurd. He said, I must not let my wife down. I must not disappoint the Lord. I must be the light in their darkness that they need. I must be the salt for them that will create the right kind of thirst and cause them to have a hunger and thirst for what, uh, for what we've talked to them about. And he said, here's what God wants me to ask you, preacher. Can you give me some encouragement and counsel is the way he put it? Can you give me some counsel about how I can, in the very words he used, I've written them down here, how I can cope through this time of crises in a way that I can make God look good? Oh, I tell you, the presence of God came uh, while He's opening His heart. Eyes of that good man was filled with tears. He's such, and the pastor had said to me uh, earlier that week, he said, uh, as I've said to you before about their dedication, he said, I don't think I've ever known two, two peoples more Christ-like in all of my life. And the pastor's been preaching a long time than that dear couple. He said his wife, oh, she was such a committed Christian. And, and he's a genuine person. He's a jewel of the Lord is the way the pastor put it. But here he is reaching out, asking the visiting preacher, can you give me some counsel? Can you give me some encouragement? He said, I, I must make him look good to them while God's got their attention. I must not disappoint my Lord or let my wife down. How many times she's prayed, Oh God, save my family. Don't let them go to hell. And now, they're watching. I read certain portions of the Scripture, try to on a regular basis. I need to stay uh, of course, in touch with God, and you do that through His words, impossible to, uh, to have a meaningful relationship and to walk with God if you neglect His Word. This is where you meet God. This is where you hear from God. It's His blessed Word. And so I've learned that I need to be in touch with the message of the book of Acts. And daily I try to read a chapter out of this portion. Daily out of Proverbs, five Psalms a day. Those are three books I need to go through on a regular basis as well as other portions of God's Word. And I'd read this. It was this time of the month uh, that this chapter is before. I'd read it just uh, 
either the day or the two days, I guess, back. And uh, I'd made some notes earlier, and I'd looked at them and read it in the very moment that he said to me, can you help me to cope in this in this time of crisis? I, it's the same Bible. The reason I brought it, I've got another Bible today. I'm going to preach out of it, but I brought this one because notes was in here in the Scripture. I have written there across the top of the page, coping in a crisis or staying calm in a conflict or facing the future unafraid. And the moment this dear deacon starts talking to me, God said, turn back to those Scriptures. Turn back and share those ingredients that I led you to put down some time ago. Turn back and share with Him what I shared with you that helped you in your time of trial. And I, best I could, I just went to those three verses. Verse number 1, verse number 6, and verse number 11. I said to Him, now I guess uh, what I wanted to suggest to Him was whatever you're doing now, just keep on doing I didn't, I didn't sense any, and, and there wasn't any self-pity, wasn't any resentment. He said, Brother Hurd, I don't know what's going on, but he said, I know God didn't make a mistake, and, and I'm not blaming God. I just need God to give me grace so, so I can be a light in darkness for this family. And I said to him in verse 1, Paul brings his conscience before him. In verse number 6, we, we see Paul's confidence. In verse number 11, we see Paul's companion. In verse number 1, we see uh, the power of a good conscience. In verse number 6, we see the promise of great confidence. In verse number 11, we see the presence of a gracious companion, someone with Paul. Someone Paul's in touch with. Someone Paul is on speaking terms with. Someone standing by. And with those three ingredients tonight, I believe if we would incorporate them in our life, regardless of what kind of trial, what kind of crises, what kind of situation we find ourselves in, I believe we'll be able to cope in a way that God will get glory from our lives. People around us will be aware that there is a living God and be aware, they'll be aware that He indeed is sufficient and He is able and He's enough for us when we're going through these trials. See, the apostle, now what I said a moment ago, it's a long, lengthy context, but he's been arrested, he's been falsely charged. Now he's being permitted to speak a word on his own behalf. He's before the council to highest group uh, uh, of, of that day and that uh, this, this council would be sought in the political realm for us would be like the Supreme Court. And so they've been gathered apparently hurriedly together and uh, the high priest apparently doesn't have his garb on, the high priestly garment on, and Paul doesn't recognize him. And so verse number 1, it says, When Paul earnestly behold in the council. That's an interesting expression. It, it, it really can almost be translated, he was eyeballing them. Earnestly beholding. Uh, Paul's not intimidated. He's not cowed down. He's not backward. Paul's he's not standing there looking at the floor. It, it can actually, the idea behind the expression, he looks each one of them right in the eye and just stares at them. Even to the point in what he said, it intimidated the high priest. He said to someone, strike him on the mouth. 
Perhaps we don't understand fully what he intended to do. See, the height of an insult in that day, I mean, if you won't insult a person in that day, at least a Jewish male in public, you wouldn't, you wouldn't spit on him. The, the, the height of an insult was to take an open hand and just slap him on the mouth. And that's what the high priest intends to do, is to intimidate, to insult, to put down this apostle. And when he struck him across the mouth, I said that in a meeting not long ago somewhere out east, I said that if you want to intimidate and if you want to insult and if you want to put down a Jewish man in that day, just slap him with an open hand across the mouth. As the brother came up after service and he said, Brother Hurt said, us Gentiles don't like it either. Amen. <laughs> well, I say amen to that. But you see what he's trying to do. I mean, here's Paul standing there with boldness. And Paul looked him eyeball to eyeball. And he said, men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God up to this day. And the high priest, they've drug him there as one that's, a, you know, a heretic. But they're not intimidating him. And, he's, and Paul just thunders back. And he says, thou whited wall. You understand what he's saying? Whited wall. That's an expression for a phony. You hypocrite. And then when someone said to Paul, you mean you'll revile God's high priest? That means, you mean you'll rail, you'll insult against, insult God's high priest? And Paul immediately showing his conscience is working in tune with the word. He apologizes and said, oh wait, it's written. Paul lived by scriptures. It's written, you shall not speak evil of, of our, the ruler. He said, I knew not, brethren. And so here, the first thing Paul's got going for him, he has the power of a good conscience. I read Proverbs, try to regularly. Yesterday, I read in a proverb for the day yesterday, says the righteous are as bold as a lion. But the wicked flee when no man pursue them. I meet people everywhere, they're full of fear. Oh, they're afraid of everything. Inside, fear is pulling them apart. They're afraid, no one's after them. They're wicked, they're wicked, they're not right with God. And one of the characteristics of not being right with God, we're characterized with fear. When man sinned, the first fear that's ever brought in the human family, he said, I was afraid. And sin makes men afraid of God. But here's the apostle with a good conscience. I call it the power of a good conscience. Paul stood there. He stood there with poise. He stood there with assurance. He stood there in such a way, even though it's a trial, granted a physical trial, and under such pressure. But Paul's not pushing panic buttons. He's not screaming. He's not going to pieces. Paul stands there and is a real vital testimony for God. How could he do it? Oh, that part of him, conscience. That's two words there put together. The first part means with. The last part of the word means to know. Science to know. And you put it together and pronounce it as conscience. And literally, he's saying there's a part of me that I, I know with. Heart and conscience sometimes is used interchangeably in the Bible. If my heart condemns me not. That's the idea of the conscience. You have a good conscience tonight, sir. Your wife don't know about what your conscience knows about you. Dear lady, that part of you that you, that, that you have knowledge, you know with. Your husband don't even know what you know in your conscience. Young people, your parents don't know that area of you where you have knowledge. You know, and if that part of you is right with God and what the Bible calls a good conscience, you'll be as bold as a lion. You can look anybody in the face. 
You don't have to go through life intimidated, pushing panic buttons and full of fear. Oh, conscience, a good conscience. I, I won't get sidetracked because I'm not going to keep you long tonight, but it's interesting. Take the word conscience and just study it in the Bible. It talks about in the New Testament at least four different types and kinds of conscience that's possible for us to have. A good conscience, a defiled conscience, a seared conscience. And the Bible even talks about an evil conscience. How many people have an evil conscience? I mean, they're taking that which is righteous and holy and, and, and they're calling it wrong and they're taking that which is wicked and they call it right. They've got an evil conscience because they degenerated to that point. But here, here's a man of God. Here's, here's a child of God and, and he's right with God. He doesn't have to let that counsel. He's not letting them, regardless of who they are, intimidate him and he, because there's a part of him that's given him courage there. I'm talking about three ingredients tonight, and the first one is this. It's the ingredient of a good conscience, the power of a good conscience. That part of you, sir, where no one knows but just you and God, that word good runs a risk, sound like a dictionary tonight, but that's an interesting word when it talks about it. It brings into focus that uh, idea of uh, a pleasant heart when that area where it's not condemning, not charging you, not saying you're guilty, regardless of what someone thinks about you and what someone accuses you of, if that part of you that you know with, you're conscious, if you know you're not guilty, I, you can be as, as bold as a lion. And so here's the apostle. He has the first ingredient I'm calling tonight the ingredient, the power of a good conscience. Now, maybe we ought to look at another verse in the same context. I said there's a whole lot of verses here in this context. It'll throw a little bit more light before we go to our second point. I have to turn the page in my Bible, but it may be on the same page as on yours. It's the next chapter. Chapter 24. Look at verse 16. Now, Paul is still in defense. He's before another here, but he's still talking along the same the same lines of, of thinking. He's still in that area of his conscience. Look at verse 16. He says, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God. Now that's what we're talking about back in the other verse. He said, I have a good conscience. Up to that very day they were accusing him. He said, Before God, my conscience is a good conscience. But notice, he amplifies it a little here now and gives a little little added insight about what a good conscience is. It's not only one that's void of offense toward God, but it's one void of offense toward men. Now listen, think with me a moment. If there's any human being could open those doors tonight and walk in this building and come down this aisle and notice what I'm saying and, and, and point their finger honestly at me and say, Wilbur Hurt, you have wronged me. You have offended me. You've wronged me and you have not attempted to right that wrong. Neighbor, I won't have a good conscience toward God unless I have a good conscience toward my fellow man. Oh, a lot of people, they've lost their courage, they've lost their confidence, they've lost their boldness. They're sort of pulled apart within. Oh, and, and, and the truth is, they, they, they're walking in broken fellowship with someone. They're wrong with someone. I mentioned Dr. A.W. Tozer, the late Dr. Tozer. What a man of God, in my opinion, he was. 
Oh, he could say things. And the first group that I was with that helped me much in my Christian life, they, they were folks from his background. They knew him personally, some of the leaders. I, I read his, his books and his pamphlets and I heard his tapes. I never met him personally. He used to pastor in our city before going to Chicago. Oh, he had a message when he'd preach it. And a brother that helped me was sort of my mentor. He, he knew him on a personal basis, worked with him. He said, if there's any one thing, he called him the doc. If there's any one thing the doc was a stickler for is to keep that inner part of your life clean before God. He said, that part where no one knows you. Talk about as Ezekiel the prophet talked about a little dark room that God showed him in the secret lives of people and, and what they were entertaining there. And he said he used to get the preachers together. And he'd talk to them, that part, sir, where nobody knows but you, that part where only you are aware of, only you can go into that area. He'd say, keep that part clean. And then he'd talk about, and, and this preacher would say to me, he'd say, Brother Hurd, he'd pull it up this way. He'd say, you can't be right this way if you're wrong this way. That's what Paul, Paul would say amen right there. Paul says, I have a conscience. Notice what he says. He says, I, I exercise myself. Paul says, I endeavor to do this. I give myself to it. I work at it. What is it, Paul? He said, to have always. Not just, not just uh, once in a while. Paul says, this is something that's constant. To have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Oh, listen tonight, anyone tonight, let me repeat that you're thinking of, that's the person maybe you ought to sort of get back in fellowship with. Anyone tonight you can think of you're in broken fellowship with? If my conscience, that inner part of me, someone said conscience is that inner judge. He approves me when I'm right and he accuses me when I'm wrong. And I think that's well put. And that part of me that's got knowledge, conscience, that part that I know with, Anyone tonight that we're wrong toward? Oh, if that's, if that's the case tonight, I tell you, we can't be right toward Him. Did you ever have an unpleasant experience, maybe even suddenly to be confronted with a person that you wasn't right with? That has a way of where I came from. They'd say, that has a way of unnerving you. <laughs> I'm thinking of a situation. They say, confession is good for the soul. I don't guess it'll help your reputation much, but... Uh, it's good for the soul. And it uh, goes back and, oh, a number of years. Uh, it was 1970. I, I'd become the pastor of a church east of Indianapolis. And, and I've been there about three months. And it's the month of April. And uh, we, we've got some buses. And we're going to start a bus ministry and, and try to reach our entire county. They had one bus. We went out there, so we purchased five more buses. And, and they permitted me to go there, just sort of hand me the reins and said, you'll be our leader. And I'd hired a man to come aboard with me to be assistant associate, and he's over the bus ministry. So we've got the buses. We've got them ready to go. Uh, we now need to get them lettered to put the church name and, and so forth on them. And I, I was telling them on a Saturday morning there, I'd, I'd talk with a person locally there in our area, and my comment was, I said, you know, I, uh, I never dreamed that it's going to be as expensive as this to letter those buses. I said, man, it's going to cost us as much to letter them as it did to, you know, to get them ready and get them painted. And one of the men spoke up and said, brother, he mentioned the fellow. He said, you know this man? I said, well, by name, well, he knows you. He's come to hear you preach. said, he's, a, he's an artist and he's, you know, he's a fine painter. 
he, he's very capable in that area. He said, let me go call him. And he went and called him, come back and said, Brother Hurt, he's, he's not busy this next week. He said, now that's over in Indianapolis. That's 30 miles from where we're at in Indianapolis where I live now. And he said, he'll drive out here and get here on Tuesday. And he said, tell you, he'll let her all six buses. And here's what, well, man, that was a fraction. I mean, that's, you know, all six of them for about what one would have cost. I said, really? I said, you know, is he, you know, can he, can he do the job? Oh, man, he, that guy, he's sharp. I said, well, he said he's still on the phone. I said, go back and tell him. We appreciate it. Uh, uh, someone will be here for him and, and, you know, help him out and do what needs to be done, take him where he needs to go. And so that's Saturday. I left on Monday and went over around Charleston, Huntington, West Virginia for a three-day meeting. And about 10 o'clock uh, Tuesday morning, the phone rang and, and the motel I'm in, and it was my, my associate preacher, Pastor. And uh, he said, Pastor, and I tell his voice, you know, he's a little something going on. I said, yes, sir. He said, the, the fellows out here let on their buses. I said, really? Well, that's good. I said, he said, you got one of them finished already. I said, man, he must have got there early or he's, you know, fell. He said, he, he's getting ready to start the second one. He said, Brother Hurd, have you ever seen his work? <laughs> I said, no, but they, he's been recommended to me. Now, this brother wasn't there on Saturday. I said, he's been recommended to me as a professional. Oh, no, no, far from it, he said. And he said, Brother Hurd, I know you. I've heard you so often say first impressions are lasting impressions. And, and I tell you, you're not going to accept this. It, I said, really? Oh, no. He said, it's embarrassing. I'd be embarrassed to drive one of these buses around over our, our county with all this stuff he's putting on. I said, oh, you're kidding. Oh, I said, can you read it? He said, barely. <laughs> oh, he said, it's not in line or anything. He said, it's just pitiful, Brother Hurd. He, he, he don't know what he's doing. Oh, I said, we don't need to let him, you know, mess up the rest of them then. I said, now, and I called him a name. I said, now, uh, you be kind when you go back and tell him. But tell him, oh, he said, Brother Hurd, I wish you was here. <laughs> well, I said, Brother, don't you understand? That's what associates do, amen? <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> but seriously, I said, no, don't be unkind to him. I said, you, you know, you, God will give you wisdom. But I said, you be gracious and you just tell him that you've talked to Brother Hurd and Brother Hurt wants to see his work, and, and uh, you know, if he decides to, you bring him back. And, and uh, Brother Carl cut me off right there. Oh, you won't bring him back, I know. I said, well, tell him that anyway. But tell him I'll be generous with him, and I, I know what he was charging. Tell him I'll take into account him coming out here and his time, and, and, and we won't mistreat him. I said, you just tell him. And to be honest with you, we had to get that bus repainted, and we got somebody to letter our buses, put the church name, and uh, now listen to me carefully. Don't uh, don't feel mean toward me until you hear me out. <laughs> and I wasn't old enough in those days to be senile, but would you believe if I told you I forgot to send him any money? <laughs> and as far as the associate preacher, he thought I took care of it. God hears what I'm telling you. I wouldn't have, I'm not that way. I won't just take advantage of people. I don't operate like that. But I forgot it. I guess the shock of it must have, you know. But I, we got those th that bus repainted, and, and he thought I told the secretary to write him a note and send him a check, but I didn't send him anything. Three months, I guess, has passed, or at least a couple. One of the preachers out of our church in, in another part of Indianapolis, well on the far side, probably 50 miles from where we live, he's built a new building, and they, they want me to come to dedicate the building, preach the sermon, 
And, and so they set it up on Sunday afternoon. And that place is packed. That, his auditorium probably seat 300. And they've got chairs out, people everywhere. I made my way. They're all up here. I made my way and I was up here preaching. I was preaching on the text in that church that afternoon. I, I, I was preaching on unto Him be glory in the church. And the way I approached it, I said, now I want to take a little bit out of its context and just preach on that statement. What kind of church will you have to have here if you bring glory to Him? If you honor Him? And I said, there's five things I want to talk about. And I'm on about number three. I'm talking about being confronted with somebody you've wronged <laughs> suddenly. And one point, at least what I'm talking about and just emphasizing, beating the pulpit, I said, you cannot walk with God and, and, and walk on people at the same time. You can't be right with God and wrong with some of His people. I said, you can't have God's smile and God's favor and God's power so you can glorify Him when you mistreat people. And it was quiet. God was settling down. Spirit of God was there. And all of a sudden, I heard a booming bass, loud voice. Amen. I looked around, and he's in a, in a chair in aisle, and he's looking at me, boy, just staring. And I thought, oh, no, God hears this. I'd never consciously thought about that man, me owing him money. And I'm up here saying, you can't be right with God, you can't walk with God and mistreat people at the same time. And loudly, clearly, he said, Amen. I looked at him. God hears this. I saw a bus half bigger than this building. <laughs> I looked at him. I thought, oh, no. I wronged him. I looked at him again, and he just looked at me and said, you dirty hypocrite, you. You're lying and you know it. You don't practice what you preach. You mistreated me. You lied to me. You say, how you know? Oh, he said, he said all that and a whole lot more when he looked at me. Amen. <laughs> Now listen carefully, I, uh, I, I knew that that had nothing to do with that audience. Don't let the devil make a fool out of you. I didn't need to make a public apology. The only time you need to make a public apology is when you've wronged the public. I need, I need to have a word with him. My first thought was, I'll, I'll get to him this quick as I finish preaching. I look back at my little outline. It turned anemic, amen. <laughs> He's just staring at me. Now, all that took place quicker than I can tell you. I knew I needed to get a word to him, but without letting everybody else know it. And I looked around me, and I said, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Every head in this building, bow your head, please. Well, I'm not 15 minutes in my sermon. And I told him I got five points, and I just started the third one. They all, everybody bowed their head. I started looking, and the preacher sitting here, and he's looking at me. I said, bow your head, brother, if you don't mind, please, bow your head. And he did too. <laughs> God knows I did. And I tuck off like, and, and went right down that aisle, right back to where he was touching. He had his head back. I touched him on the shoulder and he looked up. I said, brother, I'm sorry as I can be. I said, I forgot to send your money. He said, look. I said, I, I've got some money with me. And I said, I got enough with me to be generous with you. And whatever this means, he did like that. He didn't say a word. He just, I tuck off back up here just quick as I could. And every head still bowed. I said, okay, look up, ready to go again. <laughs> yeah. 
You say, you better know I did that. I told that over at Memphis in the church I go to, there's a lot of preacher boys there, and one of them said to his buddy, he said, that's kind of dumb what Brother Hurt did. I said, he told him about the next night, I said, you tell him, if he'd have been in my shoes, he wouldn't have thought he's dumb. Amen. <laughs> wasn't any trap door to disappear. God was saying to me, my conscience, I'm talking about a conscience, when all of a sudden you're aware you, you've wronged that person. You're not right with that person. I can't preach without God's help, and I'm not going to stumble around and make a fool of myself and try to. God said to me, I'm not going to let you preach till you go back there and get right with Him. Oh, I tell you, heaven came down the last part of that. Amen. <laughs> Listen to me tonight. Who is it? Now, uh, I can't get off this first point. I should have been through just about by now, but listen carefully. Something, I, I mean, I, I, my sensor is telling me something. So listen to me here for just a moment. Uh, you, you'll have to listen on purpose now what I'm about to say. You may think this is contradictory, but you listen to me because uh, the devil can bother you along this line. The devil can put you on an unnecessary guilt trip. Listen, I won't try to explain what I'm talking about. I need you to listen on purpose prayerfully for just a moment. I'm talking about conscience, the power of a good conscience. I'm talking about when that part of you, that part of you that you know with, that part that's conscience, that area of, uh, uh, that you have knowledge that no one else knows, and when it's a good conscience, you can have power with God, but it's a conscience that's void of offense toward God and toward your fellow man. You've righted your wrongs. You're not wrong. But listen to me. The devil can bother you in your conscience. A little silly story, but it'll illustrate the point. I need you to listen on purpose. Uh, Jimmy, he's got a little sister named Susie. It's spring, it's summer break, and they've gone to the farm. They're at Grandma's place, and the first day out there, Jimmy goes out toward the barn. There's a pond between the house and the barn, and Jimmy picks up a rock, big as his hand, flat type of rock, and he's going to skip it across the water, and he threw it too hard with too much force, and it jumped across, and Grandma's pet duck is right there and hit that duck on the head, and boom, uh, killed the duck. Jimmy looked all around, looked toward the house, and, and, and in fright, he, he, he ran in the barn. Grandma discovered a little later that pet duck called Susie and Jimmy both. Susie, you know anything about this duck? No, I don't know a thing about it. Jimmy, you, you know anything about that duck? Jimmy said, no, Grandma, no. He said, look at that. It looked like something hit it on the head. No, I said, you know, I, no, Grandma, I don't know a thing about it. That night, they've been assigned some duties while they're there, and Susie's responsibility to wash the dishes. And that night, she's over there at the sink starting to wash. She gets her, her brother's attention and said, Jimmy, you dry my dishes. Oh, he said, I don't dry dishes. That's your job. She said, uh, Jimmy, I know about that duck. I saw you hit that duck with that rock and kill it. He said, give me the towel. <laughs> and he started drying dishes. Next night, he tries to avoid her. And she looks at him and said, I'll tell on you. And he's drying dishes again. And the third night, drying dishes again. That's messing up his vacation. About the third, fourth night, he pulls his apron off, throws it down, and said, Grandma, I got a confession to make. I lied to you. I do know about that duck. I'm sorry, I, I didn't tend to. I threw a rock, and, and that rock skipped across the water and hit your duck and killed it. She says, I know, Jimmy, I saw you when you did it. <laughs> said, I just wondered how long you're going to let your little sister make a slave out of you. <laughs> oh, listen, Grandma wasn't condemning him. Is that little sister. And I've, I've talked with people sometimes. They're being put on an unnecessary guilt trip over something that's already gone and the devil. See, he does, he's not omniscient. He don't know everything, but he does have some knowledge. And through his demons, he can harass you. Man, he's hearing me preach not long ago and he won't talk to me after service. 
And I sensed the moment I was talking, he's almost led to stare. I said, tell him, how long have you been saved? He told me, I said, you, and he's a student. He knows much about the scripture. Oh, he said, Brother Hurd, I'm embarrassed. I said, anything maybe you need to tell me? I said, I, I was watching you. He said, sit right along here every night. I said, I, I think I might have throwed you a curve. Did you miss something tonight? Did you misunderstand me? His countenance changed. Oh, he said, no. He said, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but said he called it an indiscretion, a sexual indiscretion. Way back in his life, he said it was a one-time thing. And he said, God knows I did everything I could to make it right. And he said, God forgave me. That's been on the blood for a long time. But he said, every time that subject is brought up, he said, the Holy Spirit convicts me again. I stopped him right there. The Holy Spirit will never convict you of anything that's on the blood. That's gone. But unholy spirits will. Demons will. That's why the Bible talks about trying the Spirit. I said, that's not God doing that. Oh, he said, I knew I had victory at one time, but he said, I sat there when somebody, what if everybody knew? I said, that's the demons doing it. That's the devil. One of the things the devil does, he's an accuser of the brethren. And when he brings accusation against us, I tell you that man, because of truth, Jesus says, you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. And because of that, he got set free from that, that guilt, unnecessary guilt he was put on. Now listen, I've talked about conscience and we know whether or not we've confessed it and we've righted the wrong. And if you have, God forgives you. You, you need to be bold in claiming that and go on with it. The power of a good conscience. I close by just mentioning the last two. Paul not only had the power of a good conscience going for him, Paul had the promise of a great confidence. And I mean by that, he used the word hope in verse 6. He said to that crowd, he said, they brought me in because of my hope of the resurrection of the dead. word hope there is not used in the way we use hope. We use hope in the sense of maybe, you know, hope so. Maybe there's a possibility. But the word hope's not used in the Bible that way in this sense. That word actually brings into focus confidence, a certainty. Second coming is called a blessed hope in the Bible for the people of God. We're not talking about a blessed maybe. We're talking about a blessed certainty. Something that, that is sure when it talks about the second coming. And what Paul knew here, Paul knew that Jesus Christ was alive from the dead. Wasn't a hope so with him. And you see, we don't get through crisis hours uh, according to how we feel. It's not according to how we feel. It's according to what we know. You know what keeps you going is truth. Not how you feel. Be A lot of times your feelings will contradict the, uh, the truth, but you just get a hold of a truth like Paul's got here. And Paul said, listen, I, I know he's alive from the dead. That's why they brought me into question. And, and so that's his confidence. There's his conscience. There's his confidence. And then there's his companion. I call it the power of a good conscience. The promise of a great confidence, and then I call it the presence of a gracious Savior, or a gracious companion. Look what he says in verse 11. The night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Have you been in touch with him today? Has he said anything to you today? I'm not talking about hearing an audible voice. But every one of you that's been saved in length of time and you've learned to meet Him in His Word, you know when this book is saying something to the inner man. 
The Bible said this inner man is to be renewed day by day. You go a few days and you're not aware of your gracious companion in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the ones that preached last night. If we're not grieving Him, when you're reading this book, oh, He quickens this book and this book becomes alive. Uh, could I say something without being boastful? When the pastor picked me up today at a little afternoon, uh, when he asked me about my morning, I said, if I can say it without boastful, it's been one of the sweetest mornings I can remember in a long time. The very first word I started reading this morning came alive. Just start speaking. And I, I'm, I, don't, I don't say that if I know my heart in a way to boast because there's been times I, I just, it's just black print on white paper. And I have to start crying out to him, Lord, where are you at? Why aren't you speaking? But oh, this morning, what a sweet, precious time in this book. What an inward strength I felt and an encouragement because there was a gracious companion with me in his word. Every one of us can have that day by day. I mean, you can have the power of a good conscience. There's the promise of this great confidence. Lay hold of truth. And then there's the presence of a gracious companion. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Thank you for prayerful attention tonight. You've been easy to speak to. And uh, all over this room, our hearts is an attitude of prayer. God's presence is here again tonight in a sweet way. Sooner or later, there'll be some rough times, all of us. Man that's born to woman's few days and full of trouble. The Bible said as sparks fly up when trouble comes in the lives of human beings. How do you cope through those crisis hours? See, someone's, someone's watching whether we know it or not. I wonder what kind of testimony we are to them. Are they seeing the grace of God in our lives? Are they seeing the goodness of God in our lives? Are they sensing that there is something different about being a Christian? That's what my friend over yonder in the mountains of Virginia, southwest Virginia, in the state of Virginia there right up in the corner, that's what he wanted to know. Preacher, can you help me? Can you help me get through this crisis time, this crucial hour, this dark hour? I believe we have these ingredients if we're right in the part where only, only we know about. If we're right there with God and begin to lay hold of truth, practice His presence, God will help us get through just about anything we're called upon. Would you stand with me with our heads bowed? Pastor will be here in just a moment. Don't miss God tonight in this closing night of this series of meetings. Some of us have been here talking to Him every night. I'm going to do it again tonight. You may want to join us down here tonight and just, just open your heart to Him. I don't know what God's saying. That's not my business. But I found when God's speaking, that's the best time to respond is right then. Our Father... Make it easy for us to hear you now in Jesus' name. Amen. The pastor's here. God bless you, pastor.